In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, so your eyes are not playing tricks on you. Scott has not suddenly aged about 20 years. Sadly, he's homesick with some version of whatever it is most of us have had and may still have a little of or will probably get. So uh, think about him. I'm sure he'll be back soon. We all wish him well. Getting a call late on Saturday afternoon about preaching today. I was relieved to remember that this morning we would be celebrating the presentation of Jesus at the temple. I was relieved because it's a sweet story and one that I really loved to hear and maybe more importantly than that is one that I need to hear right now. I shouldn't presume anything about any of you. I've lived long enough to know better than that. But I wouldn't be surprised if many of you feel as I do the need of a story of hope and optimism, of promise and completion. The world feels a little bit wacky to me right now. The, le the level of public rancor and disunity somewhere some time ago stopped being humorous to me and became pretty disturbing. So, to hear a story as lovely and basic as this one about a young couple arriving at the temple with their new baby boy to offer him to God is heartwarming. I did, as I heard this story, and I expect many other parents did, I flashed back to Brian's baptism all those years ago when I was swollen with such pride and joy. One thing we know about Mary and Joseph, which among very few things, really, we don't know much about the Holy Family. We do know this, they were good Jews, really serious about the practice of their faith. They said their prayers. They told and retold the stories of old about how it is that they had come to be who they were. And on this day, they were aiming to do what was right for their boy. Though poor as church mice, or temple mice in this case, I guess, they came as Hebraic law required with their newborn baby, just 40 days old, to offer him to God. With no particular prescience, probably mercifully, about the future of their remarkable little baby, but with love and hope and not much else, they loaded him up and came to the temple. Now, 40-day-old babies, if you remember, are pretty cute. They're just beginning to track with their eyes, and they smile a little bit, although it's sometimes attributed to something else. It's, it's a time when parents begin to imagine how advanced their little bundle of joy really is. Oh, did you see what he just did? We've all done it. The trouble is most of those precocious skills we obviously and honestly saw are visible only to us as parents. I expect Mary and Joseph were no different. And almost certainly Jesus, being Jesus, was probably particularly adorable and brilliant. Though this enraptured couple did not have the five shekels that it took to buy a lamb to be sacrificed, 
The temple had a plan. There was a provision for poor people. A pair of turtle doves. No partridge in a pear tree, as far as any of us know. But a pair of turtle doves were, was presented, and it would do just fine. By this simple, ancient ritual, Mary and Joseph did the best to put their young man on the path to holiness. In this vignette, there are two other marvelous characters, Simeon and Anna. In some ways, for me, the story really belongs to them. I, I know it's a bit weird that these two old people have, for many, many years, captured my imagination, but they have. Simeon, a righteous and devout man, gave his life, it says, for the praying for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. It's a precise phrase that means a variety of different things in theology and biblical history. But beyond all of that, I think about praying for the consolation of his nation, of his place, and how I hope a lot of us are praying for the consolation of ours. What led him to be so devoted, we don't know. Maybe some tragedy. We don't have any idea. What we know is that he had spent a good part of his life praying for the coming of the Messiah, Israel's ultimate salvation, its final consolation. In his devotion over the years, Simeon had heard the Holy Spirit promise him that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. And at long last, the waiting had come to an end. This precious little child, now cradled in Simeon's arms, the first child of an impoverished, pretty regular-looking couple from Nazareth, Simeon truly believed was the Messiah. And at that moment, Simeon's life was complete. His famous words immortalized in Elizabethan language. I could sing it for you, but I won't. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of thy people Israel. In some ways, Anna, who at this point has not been heard from, was an even more remarkable character. Not coming and going from the temple at all, she never left it. So intent was she upon her life apart and the practice of her prayer. She was widowed very early, after only seven years of marriage, she had given the rest of her life to the temple. We don't know why she didn't remarry, but we know that she repaired to the temple right away, and that's where she would spend her final days. A prophetess herself, when she heard the words of Simeon, she knew they were true. And in an uncharacteristic way, she began to speak about this remarkable event and to praise God for the coming of this child. My sense of her is that she had hidden in the shadows of the temple all these years and then at this seminal moment she found her voice in a wonderful, wonderful way. I said in the beginning this is a sweet story and it is for me. I'm a sap about babies, always have been. Not as crazy over them as they get a little older but babies I really do love. And at the other end of life, I am particularly coming to be more drawn 
to old men and old women, holy and secluded in the temple, hoping and waiting for good news, news that they believed and news that I believed was worth waiting a lifetime to hear. But the story is much more than a feel-good moment. Simeon, as he gives Jesus back to Mary, almost as a side comment, makes an ominous warning to her. He says to her, as this young child grows to fulfill his ministry, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Can you imagine how that was heard by this teenage woman? the mother of this tiny baby. Startling words. The gospel says the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. I bet they were. And I bet a lot of them, particularly maybe what he said to Mary, were put in a place in their heart where they held it close, but they didn't talk about it much because they took him back home and they reared him. We know later he comes to the temple at the age of 12, and then, of course, we jump to his adult life. Suddenly, though, as we hear these details, this sweet story, at least for me, becomes a whole lot more than that. We begin to ask ourselves what it means for us to give our lives to God, to live as this Christ child grew up to teach us to live. This story of an ancient ritual morphs into a precursor for our own baptism and for our own baptismal vows, a map for how we too are to live our lives. It raises the question for me, is there anything from God for which I await so devotedly that upon receiving it I would say in all reverence like Simeon did, that's it. Nothing else I need, nothing else I need to hear, I now can go. For what might we yearn that we would literally and figuratively or figuratively fast and pray day in and day out as Anna did in the quiet shadows of the temple? I don't know. It's a good question. What I think we get from this story about Simeon and Anna and from the story of the Holy Family's journey is that these big questions exist for us as much as they did for this family and these holy people in the temple 2,000 years ago. And that in one way or another, we live out our answers to these questions every day, either consciously or unconsciously. What do we really care about? What do we pray about? Indeed, what do we give our lives to? These are the critical questions of our lives. Not about how much money we have or how successful we are or how successful our grandchildren are, our grandchildren, our children. We spend a lifetime, we can spend a lifetime of unconscious living with little or no regard for what truly matters. That's a harsh statement, but I believe it. I think that it is possible to live without thinking much farther than the next moment in front of us. But if we do that, I don't believe we're really living. We're getting on, but we're not living. We are made, created in God's image, I believe, to be consequential people. Every one of us, consequential. Not people who do not think, 
but people who feel and think and analyze and seek understanding, question and struggle about what truly matters in this world and in our lives. In a word, I believe we're created to live with purpose and intention. I, like all other priests over the years, have had a lot of people come to me and say at one time or another, I'm really interested in knowing what God's will for my life is. Most of the time, they're in search of an answer about a particular relationship or a job, maybe a vocation in the church, often it is. The question's a valid one, an important one. I've asked it of myself on many occasions. But the only answer I ever really have, and I usually try to dress it up with some nice, pious words, but what I really want to say is, this is it's pretty simple what God's will for our lives. God's will is that we live consciously, purposely, and lovingly. The particulars of it can be thorny, I get all that, but that's only as relevant as details are. If we're living purposely and consciously and lovingly, the details will take care of themselves. I sometimes want to say I don't really think God particularly cares what we do other than that, but that seems a little flip, and I don't mean it to be. I just believe with all my heart that if we found a way, whatever we do, to live consciously, lovingly, and purposely, then that we're in the center of God's will for us. The message from Anna and Simeon seems to be rife with that kind of claim. For them to do it, it meant essentially giving up their lives for the temples. Most of us will not do that, and that's just as well. It means for most of us it will get up every day, go to work as consciously as we can, seek to do what we do purposely and do it for good, and to do whatever we do with as much loving kindness as we can. That's it. That's what we're here for. We present ourselves over and over, week after week, at this place, at this holy altar, giving ourselves each time anew to God, seeking the holiness to which we are being called. This story of Jesus at the start of his life, I believe, reminds us that getting back to the basics of who we are, who we've been created to be, is really what it's all about. In the name of God, amen.